Although tumor biopsies represent the gold standard for cancer diagnosis and molecular testing, liquid biopsies and cell-free DNA testing from plasma are rapidly emerging as important, minimally invasive adjuncts to standard approaches. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking to Ryan Corcoran, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School and leader of the Corcoran Lab at Massachusetts General Hospital, which focuses on developing new therapies for gastrointestinal cancers. Dr. Corcoran recently co-authored a Frontiers in Medicine article on the application of cell-free DNA analysis to cancer treatment. Dr. Corcoran, cell-free DNA is viewed as an important adjunct to standard methods of cancer diagnosis and even as a potential alternative to those standards. So what exactly is cell-free DNA and how can it be used in diagnosis and management of cancer? So cell-free DNA belongs to a group of technologies that have been collectively referred to in recent years as liquid biopsy. And essentially what liquid biopsy refers to is the analysis of tumor-derived material from body fluid. And that body fluid is most often blood, but can involve other body fluids such as cerebrospinal fluid or saliva, for example. And the type of tumor material that can be analyzed can include whole circulating tumor cells or material from tumor cells, such as, in this case, cell-free DNA. And cell-free DNA is composed of fragments of DNA that are shed into the bloodstream during the normal turnover of cancer cells. And actually, the presence of cell-free DNA in the bloodstream is something that's been known uh, now since around the year 1950. But the impact and the importance of this technology is really something that's emerged over the last five or 10 years. And now all of our cells in our body will shed cell-free DNA into the blood. And so even a healthy individual will have some level of cell-free DNA. But patients with cancer, will, uh, we refer to the tumor-derived component of cell-free DNA as circulating tumor DNA. And as we discussed in our review article, there are a lot of very uh, promising emerging techniques and approaches that involve analysis and detection of these tumor-derived fragments of DNA in the bloodstream. So compared with the current gold standard, what are the clinical advantages of using cell-free DNA in cancer diagnosis and treatment? So one of the most obvious advantages is that whereas analyzing tumor tissue typically involves an invasive procedure, either a surgery or uh, an invasive biopsy, to analyze cell-free DNA from blood simply involves a routine peripheral blood draw, the same type of blood draw that a patient would have when they come in and have their routine uh, labs checked. And so that certainly logistically provides a lot of advantages. It reduces the risk and the discomfort of a patient having to undergo a procedure. And it also lends itself to serial or repeated sampling over the course of a patient's treatment course. And that's something that really isn't practical to do with invasive tumor biopsies. There's a limit of what I think is reasonable and ethical to do as far as rebiopsing a patient multiple points during therapy. So that's one advantage. Um, the second advantage is for uh, analyzing how a patient's cancer becomes resistant to therapy. And so uh, traditionally, that's been looked at by biopsying a tumor you know, before therapy and understanding the mutational molecular profile of that tumor, and then biopsying a tumor again after the patient has responded, but perhaps become resistant to that therapy. And what we and others have found is when a patient has multiple um, metastases, that individual tumor subclones can actually independently evolve different resistance mechanisms. And if you biopsy just one part of one lesion in the body, you may get a very limited view of what's driving resistance. And when we look in the blood instead, because cell-free DNA is shed by tumor cells throughout the body, we can actually get a more complete picture of multiple independent resistant mechanisms that may have evolved independently. And we found that in many patients, this can be as many as 10, 12, 13, or more different resistance mechanisms that coexist. And treating just one of those, as might be identified in a single lesion biopsy, would likely lead to treatment failure. And so taking the entire context into account when selecting therapies is becoming of increasing importance. 
So even with all of that, cell-free DNA today has a number of research applications, but it's not widely used in clinical oncology. And I understand that's partly due to some practical challenges in terms of isolation and analysis of that cell-free DNA. Can you say a bit about that? Sure. So the technologies to analyze cell-free DNA have made uh, incredible strides over the last few years and are developing quite rapidly. And as these technologies improve, the spectrum of potential applications for which cell-free DNA can be used has increased dramatically. And so the challenges are that, number one, the actual level or the overall concentration of cell-free DNA in the blood is quite low to begin with. So you're already starting from analyzing typically a much lower amount of DNA that you might if you were deriving it directly from tumor tissue. The second issue is, as I mentioned, not all of the cell-free DNA in the bloodstream of a cancer patient is derived from tumor cells. There's normal cell-free DNA shed by normal cells in normal tissues, just like it is in every person, that presents a background of cell-free DNA in the blood. And the tumor-derived uh, component of that cell-free DNA, what we refer to as circulating tumor DNA, sometimes can be as little as a fraction of a percent, or in many patients can be 10, 20% or more. But uh, in almost any case, you're dealing with detecting tumor-derived cell-free DNA amidst a background of normal DNA. And so that dilutes the signal and it really requires you to analyze for very rare events. So the technology has had to advance considerably because of that. To get to the crux of the issue is that if you look at a lot of the general sequencing approaches that have been applied to tumor DNA in recent years, the error rate of the polymerases involved in those PCR and sequencing reactions can be anywhere from a fraction of a percent to 1%. And when you're dealing with patients who have only maybe a fraction of a percent of their cell-free DNA being tumor-derived DNA, that's right at the same level where you'd expect to get random errors in the sequencing reaction. So a lot of work and a lot of um, honing of the technology has been going in to really be able to detect what's a real mutation that was present prior to the sequencing reaction and what has arisen as an artifact of the PCR reaction. And so several uh, very innovative methods have been developed to assess that, and that technology is really improving very rapidly as we speak. You say in your article that the holy grail of liquid biopsy applications is the use of cell-free DNA as a cancer screening tool. Do you see that as an achievable goal, and how are we going to get there? So I think we all hope that's an achievable goal, and I think certainly there's evidence that we can certainly use cell-free DNA to be effective for cancer screening in some settings, and I think many of us believe that cell-free DNA will at least be an important component of a potential cancer screening test. Whether it can present the perfect cancer screening test, of course, is another question, and there's, there's, this is an incredibly challenging problem because when you are screening for pretty much any type of cancer in a healthy individual, there are a lot of different challenges. Number one is that you know whatever test you are performing needs to be not just sensitive enough to pick up small and early cancers in individuals at a time when it can be cured, but this test needs to be incredibly specific. And by that, I mean that the false positive rate needs to be incredibly low. Obviously, we don't want to test that people get every year in their doctor's office that you know may tell even a small percentage of patients incorrectly every year that they might have cancer. It may lead to a lot of anxiety as well as unnecessary procedures. So the test needs to be incredibly specific. Um, it's also a challenge because when you are screening for all types of cancers, it's difficult to know where a potential cancer might be arising, what mutations might need to be screened for. So all these things certainly need to be taken into account. And we're also seeing increasing evidence that there are actual you know, mutations or alterations that can be detected in cell-free DNA, even in patients that actually don't originate from the cancer. Some of these originate from either benign or pre-malignant clones in the bone marrow, something referred to as clonal hematopoiesis of indeterminate potential. And these can provide sources of non-tumor-derived mutations that can confound a screening test. So that being said, I think that the path for using cell-free DNA for screening, there's certainly ways forward. And we've seen some very promising studies recently that these may be able to be used in, in very specific settings. For example, certain high-risk populations are in screening tests for very specific cancer types. But I think 
when you look at how far the technology has come in recent years, it's something that we hope may not be too far off in the distant horizon. Finally, looking even beyond the screening as a possibility, what else do you see the future as holding for cell-free DNA and cancer? So right now, I think that the major applications have involved using cell-free DNA as a source of tumor mutational profiling without the need for tumor biopsy. So that's been used in cases where tumor tissue isn't available or when you want, like I mentioned earlier, to resample the tumor genome at various intervals through therapy. But you know, the potential applications for cell-free DNA go well beyond that. I think that the use of cell-free DNA to actually track in real time the response to therapy and actually detect early signs of progression or recurrence before it might appear on a CT scan is certainly an active area of research. But I think one of the most potentially transformative applications that really I believe will be achievable in the next few years is the concept of detecting residual disease after surgery in patients who are undergoing a potentially curative operation. And, you know, the way we are, as a, the oncology community, are able to cure most solid tumors is if we detect them early enough where we can resect all of the tumor cells from the body surgically and no tumor cells remain, that patient will be cured. But unfortunately, after these surgeries, we don't have have a way with standard methods to tell who is actually cured after that surgery and who has clinically undetectable residual tumor cells that will eventually grow out and cause that patient to relapse. And so one of the very promising approaches of cell-free DNA is to actually screen for mutations or other DNA-based alterations that are present in that patient's tumor in blood drawn postoperatively. And this can be done as early as a few weeks after a surgery. What uh, initial studies have suggested is that even if very, very trace amounts of those tumor specific alterations are detected in cell-free DNA a few weeks after surgery, those patients close to 100% of the time will go on to recur. And the reason is that the half-life of cell-free DNA is very short. It's on the order of about an hour. So even a day or two after surgery, but certainly a few weeks after surgery, patients who are cured should have no detectable levels of circulating tumor DNA left. So if we can now start to detect after surgery who may be in an incredibly low-risk group or maybe ideally be cured versus those who otherwise might not get any additional therapy, but if we can actually detect who among those may have residual disease and is destined to relapse, we can now actually bring newer and more innovative therapies to play in those patients at a time when their tumor burden may be small enough where we can actually potentially cure those patients. And so by using cell-free DNA to guide more innovative adjuvant therapy, we may actually, uh, rather than simply just pushing out survival by a few months, we actually may be able to bring some of our more innovative therapies to bear at a time when we can actually meaningfully impact the cure in patients. And I think that could be a very exciting prospect. Thank you, Dr. Corcoran.